Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is January 17th. It's a Tuesday. This is episode 822. And uh, usually I'm coming to you from uh, Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, and I guess I am, but the reality is I'm in Las Vegas, Viva Las Vegas, at the 2012 SHOT Show. Uh, but this episode has actually been pre-recorded so that when I was gone, you would still have a show. And I thought, you know, there's been a lot of financial shenanigans going on. There's a lot of financial instability right now. There's a lot of concern for the economy. Who is the guy I know that is the least amount of bullshitter and the most amount of stark reality when it comes to the economy that I could get on the air to uh, put out a show for you guys this month on the economy and what to expect and what's going on and to make simple sense out of things that are really complex and see, that's the thing. The guy that can do that really understands it. The guy that makes it, it takes the complicated, sound complicated sort of understands. The guy that takes the complicated and says, here it is in a way that you can understand it. He's the guy that gets it. And the guy that I know that can do that the best is my good friend, Mr. Mike Gazer. And I will have him on in just a minute. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one, BackyardFoodProduction.com. If you want to know how to turn your backyard into a food production machine, you need to get the DVD that is called Food Production Systems for a Backyard or Small Farm by Marjorie Wildcraft. And she'll show you exactly how to do that. Whether you're working with 10 acres in the country or a tenth of an acre in the city, you can use the techniques that she's used to make her family highly self-sufficient in regard to feeding themselves on your own property. So check them out today. Again, BackyardFoodProduction.com. Next up today, Fortress Defense Consultants. Hey, you know, I'll tell you what. Here's the thing about having weapons and being ready to defend yourself and things like that. It is so easy to convince yourself you're proficient enough to work out, you know, work in a scenario where you're at risk or someone you love's at risk or even a complete stranger's at risk and you're called on to use deadly force or the threat of deadly force. So easy to convince yourself of that. And making nice holes in a paper target is one good way to do it. But you need realistic training that will actually make you prepared so that when you fall back not to your highest level but your lowest level of training, that lowest level of training is high enough to make sure you stay alive. That's the kind of training you'll get at Fortress Defense Consultants from Frank Sharp Jr. and his cadre of excellent, exceptional instructors. Uh, make sure you check them out. Remember, if you're not in Illinois, they can come to you if you put together a small group and do training in your area. Check them out today, Fortress Defense Consultants. Dot com. Well, remember, the best way to make sure you're dealing with our sponsors is go to the survivalpodcast.com. Click on their banners in the right-hand margin. That will make sure you're dealing with an actual sponsor instead of a cheap imitator. Next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And I want to throw out a reminder, you should check out the Survival Podcast Forum. There's thousands of members of our community there waiting to connect with you. And some of them have formed really great lifelong personal friendships by connecting with each other on the forum. Every once in a while I get an email, Jack, do you have any listeners in? Fill the blank. 
the city of Indianapolis, the state of Florida, the southeastern United I have listeners all over, dude, wherever that blank is, yes. Best way to find people in your area, go to the regional boards. I'll give you a little piece of advice, though. If you contribute to the forum a little bit before you do that, you're going to get a better reception. People have a natural you know, tendency to say, I don't know who this person is yet. So remember when you go to a forum, whether it's our forum or any forum, it's just like going to a, like a, a chamber of commerce meeting or something like that. Meet people, rub elbows. Get a feel for the place. Don't just come in there and start blurting stuff out and expecting a warm reception. Get to know people a little bit. Just because it's virtual doesn't make it anything less of a community than that's what it is. All right, last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members. Uh, and you'll get discounts to over, you know, 30 vendors. You get a bunch of great stuff, over $150 with free ebooks, and you support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. I know you usually say 20 cents an episode, but when I actually did the math, average number of episodes a year, times, you know, divided by 50 bucks, 18.3 cents an episode. So if you think the show's worth a couple dimes, consider joining to support the show. Um, I also want to remind you, if you're military, law enforcement, uh, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service, email me with details of your service. I'll give you a special discount code for uh, military and law enforcement and Peace Corps to thank you for your service to our country. With that, I've got the housekeeping wrapped up, and it's really, you know, gives me a lot of pleasure to bring Mike on. You're going to probably hear my voice change a little bit. He's from the Northeast. He's going to drag me into my roots of being from, you know, central Pennsylvania and working and living up there for a long time. And you're just going to hear two guys kind of really talking about how they actually feel about this and what we think you can do about it, because that's how it is when you bring a friend on. And I can't think of a friend that, uh, that I really enjoy talking to about money more than Mike Gazer. Hey, Mike, welcome back to the survival podcast hey jack man you know i always love being here thank you for inviting me hey so like one of the big things that's gone on i say big uh things that have gone on recently and i've had a ton of people just like scared crapless over it the ticker guy did a post basically saying it's over and i told everybody relax that's his third it's over post of the of the year um but was the mf global fiasco and I've had a lot of people that are afraid for their 401ks, their 403bs, their IRAs, that type of thing, because this wasn't the underlying investment failing. This was the brokerage itself failing. And I've told them, relax. That doesn't mean everything's sunshine and lollipops, but the two are not really related to each other. Could you maybe tell people whether I'm right or wrong on that? If I'm right, which I hope I am, kind of the basics of it. Don't get too deep into it, but just how the two areas are different from each other. Well, you're, you're not completely right or completely wrong, but MF Global, while what happened with them isn't going to directly affect anyone's 401k or IRA accounts because no one had their money with uh, MF Global. But MF Global, even though they're not a household name to most of America, is a big broker. What happened to them very simply was, and the, the a terminology your audience has to get used to hearing because it's part of Dodd-Frank, proprietary trading, MF Global making bets in the market for their own account in a tremendously leveraged way is what busted them out. And it was John Corzine's really idea. A guy, you know, it's great to be a fearless trader until it goes in the toilet, you know, because uh, the Wall Street tends to be that way. Go big or go home. And they went big, and now they're all home. But the problem we had is, is, is a couple different ways it could affect Mr. and Mrs. America's IRA account is could they be the trigger for a systemic kind of chain reaction? Because 
coming out of 2008, Wall Street seemed to be printing money all over again for a couple reasons, and we can talk about those because uh, I think you saw my last newsletter where I tried to uh, I tried to explain why the occupiers should have been mad. But the thing is, MF Global seems to have, and because it's just it's an accusation at this point, used I guess basically commingled their customers' money with their money, and somewhere give or take around a billion dollars for God's sakes of investors' money that seems to be, the word is missing. I just want to make sure I'm clear on this so everybody else is clear. So what you're basically saying is MF Global does their own trades, and then they do trades on behalf of their clients, and the money should be in two buckets. That is I put my money in there. That's my money when I buy or short something or, or sell something or whatever or buy a commodity, and then they have their money to execute their own trades for their own profit center out of. And you're saying they took my money out of my bucket, stuck it into their bucket, and then screwed it up. They took your money, put it in their bucket in order to meet their margin calls. And when, when their when their gigantic bet busted out, that now suddenly your money is quote unquote missing. They you're, you they somehow misplaced it. <laughs> That's a neat word, isn't it? Your yeah. money's missing. Yeah. Well, in other words, we stole it and lost it. You know, and and you and I both know we don't give a crap how it got lost. All I know is I don't got it no more. So, you know, but that, and, and, and if you could, these firms, and, and you and I have had these conversations, and, and you know my sort of like, you know, Prince of Darkness thing aside, the big concern it seemed back in 2008 was all these firms that were too big to fail. Well, you know what's funny to me? They're all bigger than they ever were. JP Morgan's bigger. They bought their Stearns. Goldman Sachs and JP and Morgan Stanley are members of the Federal Reserve and into the Federal Reserve for bazillions of dollars. In, in borrowed money. Uh, Citibank bought Merrill Lynch. I'm sorry, uh, Bank of America bought Merrill Lynch. I mean, it goes on and on. So if these firms were too big in 2008, where, where are they now? And, and could an exposure like MF Global be in, enough to just even tip over one other big firm? But then if that other yeah. big firm, you know, you can get a little mojo. Look what's going on in Europe, man. It's a, it's a scary, scary world, really. It's more scary to me now. And I'm not, and this is where I guess the Prince of Darkness thing comes out. But I mean, I'm more scared now than I was in 2008. And you know, I was scared. You know what was back in 2008? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You and me both. I mean, in in the beginning of 08, middle of 08, I was screaming at people, just g- get into a safe harbor right now. This sucks. Don't be exposed because they saw it coming. I've actually had a lot more problems since then. Like before the big meltdown. It was easy. Here it comes. Now I don't know what the hell is going to happen. Right. And I, I have to be completely honest about that. I, I, I'm able to call short-term things. Like I was able to say like the Dow would end up this year from its start right. with, with right. quite a bit of confidence. But that doesn't mean that two weeks later it won't, it won't crap the bed. I, I really the, – the fear now is more based on not knowing. I wasn't scared at all when I knew it was going to happen because I knew what to do. Right. Well, well a couple, couple points in, in, in that avenue is – you know, I'm at this life 32 years. I mean, I've been my whole my whole adult life has been in the financial industry, and the thing is, in my entire adult life, I've never seen so many different ways to get your kneecaps busted as right now. And and but you don't know. See, I, I don't think any American, if you said to them the Dow could fall to 7,000, they they'd shrug their shoulders and say, Yeah, I guess. You know, sure. It's not even hard to imagine anymore. Uh, the 30-year Treasury bond, I think it's under 4% now. Well, I don't think anyone would be shocked if it went back to 8%. 
I don't think anyone. No. I, I don't even know. You know better than me, Jack. What is gold right now? Eleven something, twelve something, seventeen. I don't even know. It's, it's in. A, it's in. A, I, I'm not even sure today. You, you know, just keep going, and I'll I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it is okay, in a second. But, but I mean, whatever gold is, it wouldn't be at all shocking to anybody if it was suddenly up five hundred dollars more or down five hundred. You know, oil could go to one hundred twenty-five dollars in a heartbeat. It could go to sixty-five bucks, and neither would be. And 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 one thing I almost know for a fact is real estate's only going one direction. That's down. You know, so the real estate thing isn't over. So, you know, so from commodities to real estate to the stock market to bonds, I mean, you know, some some of these things may work out spectacularly, but you know what? You're going to have earned your money, man, because for you to have the nerve, the cubes, to put your money on the line, like, you know, I think Gage's a moron. I think stocks are the way to go. Or I think a 4% 30-year treasury bond is fantastic. Well, you know, and you might end up the genius and I'm the boob. But I, but I, you, it will take you <laughs> tremendous fortitude to put your money in that. Whatever I mean. Yeah. yeah, let me give you on your gold price right now. It's actually, it's 1617 today. So it, uh, we've had a recent, uh, drop down to about the 1550 range and right. it's, it, it's gone back up. It's been very, very volatile. Since it slid off its nineteen hundred dollar highs back in September. Well, well, I'll ask you, and on a personal level, would you be shocked if gold could be twenty five hundred dollars next July? This July? No, no, no. I also wouldn't be shocked if it was nine hundred dollars. Well, exactly. That's and you know, so that's my problem. So the guy that <laughs> the guy that stepped on either side to make that bet deserves the money they get. Yeah, because they could have yeah. their knees broken in a second. So as far as you know, going full circle back to you know, Mister and Mrs. America's. IRA account and 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 you know, uh, uh, you know, four hundred one k. What scares me most also is that so much of the market now is driven by a lot of this computer based. It's almost like the eighties again, except with technology that's mind boggling. Uh, I wrote about that too because what's here? here here's the summary. I'll, I can give your audience. High frequency trading is simply this. We hire some ex-NASA scientist, some guy with a Ph.D. in, no, no kidding either, astrophysics or math, to write, sure. to write a program, you know, a computer program that takes in data. Could be different. All kinds of, there's different ones. We could be watching prices. We could be watching news events. The, they're going to build this mathematical algorithm. And it could be, one of them actually is Google searches. In real sure. time, in real time, the computers gather the data on what people are searching on Google. If it's an investable stock, the computer will make the decision after this astrophysicist writes the program to make buy or sell decisions. These decisions are made at the speed of light. The computers are trying to make sometimes only one penny per share. They'll issue the buy and sell orders. What scares me is, it's first it started. If you're going to do this, because all these programs are not exactly the same, but they all there's only so many things you can watch. It actually got so competitive that people were trying, the, the firms that did this kind of trading, would try to get their server with their program on it as close to, like, let's say, the New York Stock Exchanges as possible, because what, what we're bumping up against here is the speed of light. If my order to buy can arrive an electron before yours does, I'm going to beat you. And you're going to influence you're going to influence the outcome that way because your money went in first, i.e., your money goes out first. That's the other thing. Right. And here's where I think it. Gets, and this is what I wrote about too because I think it's dirty. 
I understand the New York Stock Exchange, by the way, is over New Jersey, built a brand new data center in, in the technology industry. It's called co-location. They actually, I, I've seen it. I haven't been there in person. I've seen video and photographs. The New York Stock Exchange's servers that are processing all the trades in, are in one gigantic bank. You know, you can picture it if you've ever seen a server room. Right across, literally, you could, I'd be mean, spit. It's so close, right across the aisle, they'll rent you space. So your wire will be that short. And you know what? I don't know how much it costs because you can't find that stuff out. But you know what? It's lots. And who do you think? Yeah, it ain't cheap. Who do you think? <laughs> And, and the thing is this. It, it ain't the price of a dedicated rack in Dallas for 300 bucks a month. It is not that. It, it, I think it is more. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, and yeah, you, it's I mean, a lot more. <laughs> well, and, and the problem is this. That means because you can afford it, you get market data, first of all, which is like what's happening before I do because you're closer. Yeah. And, and your orders are arriving before mine because I can't afford it. You know, I like yeah. And this is where I think Congress, for example, has to catch up with technology because – how is that any different? Because I could afford it. What if I said to Microsoft, I'll give you $5 million if you'll tell me your earnings information five minutes before you release it to the public. And you say, whoa, 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 Mike, that's crap, man. That's insider trading. Oh, isn't it, though? Yeah. Wouldn't that yeah, and I think people here are having maybe a hard time understanding that having a wire that's, uh, let's say, a couple hundred feet versus a wire that's a couple miles would make that big of a difference. And if it was you and me sitting behind our computers drinking coffee deciding what we're going to buy and sell, right. it wouldn't matter. No. It's, it's, it's too small. We're talking, what you're talking about here is uh, nominal velocity of propagation. That's from my technical days. The speed of light in a, in a, in a, a, a copper or an optical cable versus the speed of light in, in space. And you're going to have like 67% of speed of light. That's pretty flipping fast, right? No, but when it's no. a computer, that microsecond, that I microsecond mean. matters. I'm way ahead of you. You know, you and it's and then my my question is, what value does that actually bring to anybody in America? Because all of these investment vehicles, commodities, uh, puts, calls, shorts, longs, all this stuff have a legitimate purpose for an investor. I could buy an option, basically, as an insurance policy. So I hold the stock, and if the stock drops, I have a, 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 a short option. So that I guarantee my ability to sell a little above or at or, or what have you. But then you go to nakeds. And, but this is like taking like naked short, naked call and going like a bazillion times that. And does this do anything for anybody other than the, the clowns behind the, the computer? To, to sum that up, the, 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 the answer they would give you if they, if they would ever show up on your show is because of their activity, there is increased liquidity. In the markets, meaning it's easier to buy and sell because, because their activities facilitate more volume, which makes everything more liquid. But that is. So it's more easy for me to dump my shares when I want to dump them. But that's a, but, 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 but see, with that said, I was playing, I was playing them there on TV, on radio. Yeah. Uh, but the fact is, that's a bogus, vapid argument because the fact is, how old are you? I don't even know, Jack. Don't even tell me if you don't want to. But you're old enough to know. Have you ever heard about people having trouble selling their New York Stock Exchange listed stocks ever in your lifetime? No. No. And I got to I've been I've been buying and selling stock as an individual for 20 years. Not a lot, but a, but a little bit. And I have never put in a sell. If I sell it more, if I sell at a, uh, a like a like a what do you call it? A market, not a market order, a uh, limit order. Where you set your price, a limit order, right? When I sell at a limit order, I might have to wait on it. That's the whole point. But wow. if I've ever been wanting to sell at market, 
every trade I've ever executed has gone through immediately. Instantaneous, right. So that's why that argument, because they don't have anything else to say, uh, because that's, that's the only thing they could possibly be adding, which was not needed, actually. So here's, here's the lesson for the audience. On a typical day in the New York Stock Exchange, 65 to 75% of all the volume, all the volume, are these high-frequency guys. And understand something, too. At the end of every day, their, their, their situation resets. They either made money today or they didn't. And what the problem I have is value doesn't matter anymore at all. All that matters is what the price is. See, the value is what a stock should be worth. The, the price is just whatever the hell the price is. And as long as the price, as long as they're pushing those prices up and down the ladder, you know the story. They can make money on the way up. They can make money on the way down. They just need to keep it moving. And, what and they're not holding anything. Their, their, their motto is never let the sun go down on your money. So they're out by the end of the day. They are, no, Jack, the real truth of the matter is probably 90% of high-frequency trades don't last more than 30 or 60 seconds. That's they're crazy. Going, they're going all day long, all day long. And, uh, and like I said, that's, that's the scary world for an old fart like me, is that when value doesn't matter, all that matters is price. Uh, you know, then it makes you wonder, if I am Mr. and Mrs. America's IRA account money, can I buy stocks at these prices? Are, are they being fairly priced? Or is it the price because of these guys' activities that they've driven it up or down to? Now, you know, the other side is they made I'll tell you a story. One of these Google search term, uh, you know, algorithms, uh, about a year and a half ago, I guess it was. I forget which news service. I'm glad I forget. But uh, some uh, uh, wire service mistakenly republished an old story on United Airlines, and and all that showed up was United Airlines bankruptcy. United Airlines oh, wow. United Airlines stock was down 50 percent in 20 minutes. On a, false, wow. on, on a false story. That's how sad. That, it, it, there's no humans. Well, doesn't that leave us up to, like, like, really subversive manipulation? So let's say I wanted that to happen. Would it be possible for me if I had some control to manipulate that, um, especially with web-based technology and kind of bot-type stuff, and force the stock down knowing damn well it's, it's, a, it's a glitch, and then I'm buying it. Uh, a song, and then I'm dumping it as soon as it recovers. I, there's yet to be a, well, there's yet to be a story like that in the high frequency age, uh, and I'm trying to remember. Uh, doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Oh, oh no, no! I was going to tell you a story. It has happened. I'm trying to remember the name of the company. There was a kid out in California. Uh, I wrote about it. It's an old. It's like I said, a ten year old story. Um, damn, there's a company up in the, in the Pacific Northwest uh, that uh, makes. Uh, there were Nasdaq listed. And they made fiber optic like patch panels and connectors. No big deal. Their stock was about eighty bucks. Well, uh, there's some. I think uh, there. Well, I forget the names. I'm almost glad. But there's an online public. You, you know the deal, Jack. You're you're in show business. Pub, you know, if, if you're gonna try to like publicize something, you do a press release. Correct. And you, you send the press release to whoever the Associated Press. UPI, Dow Jones News Service, whoever. But then um, there's this online, it's big, I don't remember its name, where you would also post your press release because that's where your like local newspaper and radio stations will pick up stuff. Okay. Um, th this Probably case, something like PR Web or something yeah, like that. You're yeah, it, it's got PR in it. it, okay. it, it is PR. It wasn't PR Web. Or PR Newswire, if we're going back in the day a little bit. Maybe. You know, it's a full 10 years. Well, anyway, this kid... Figured out well because he'd spent 
he'd spent the summer as an intern. He was a community college student in California. He, uh, he bought a boatload of puts on this company I'm telling you about in the Pacific Northwest, uh, which for your audience is he's betting on the price going down. And he had boosted some of the company's letterhead up in the Pacific Northwest, knew how to do the posting because he'd interned at this public relations website. He knew all the passwords, the firewalls, and everything. And and the stock dropped by 50% that morning. Uh, wow. And, and, and the press release was how the company was going to be restating its financials and all their senior CFO controllers and all were all resigning and they're under SEC investigation was the phony press release. So what your idea was, you weren't the first one to think of that. Yeah. And I'm thinking with these, like, see, you're here to get away with today if you have the right technology because – since these algorithms you're discussing in this high density or high high velocity trades um, is based on a lot of it is based on searches and user behavior, the mind of the of the public at any given time. I can create queries. I can create things that make it look like fifty thousand people in the last hour just Googled uh, is American Airlines going bankrupt. Right. Have, American Airlines doesn't have to do anything if I'm monitoring user behavior, and I can create that. And I can do it in a way using proxies where it looks like these are legitimate organic searches coming from hundreds of thousands of different locations, and I ain't that smart. And the, now, there's a guys out there a lot smarter than me on this. Right. That's what I, I've always said the same thing about, like, terrorists. I'm, we're, we're really, as Americans, blessed how stupid terrorists seem to be, because I think back to that Times Square guy. It was like, you know, I, oh, have yeah. no, I have no terroristic tendencies, but, I mean, like, I don't know anything. I could have built a better bomb than you, you moron. You know, and, and, and you know, and same, and same with you with regards to if you want to to wreak havoc. But I will tell you though, uh, well, I was about to compliment the SEC and Stockwatch, which in this case, you know, even with all the proxies and whatever, you know, uh, people, people, the government's got some scary people too. You know, so I, I've always, you know, having having been the securities salesperson, I I, I know what it's like to like. It, they better not be able to find you because they're gonna. They, they always seem to end up finding you if you're dirty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, especially if you're if you're if you're the little guy instead of the great big guy that made all the money. Correct. Because you, know, you know they always like they like fall guys like Madoff. So right. let's talk about why people should be angry with uh, Wall Street. I mean, because I look at that, and I go, well, this guy got fifty billion, and these guys got literally you know like trillions of dollars extorted through the Fed and their back door and everything else, and. He's people are ready to crucify his children, you know, right. and, and 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 what the, what the rest of these people did is uh, is far more criminal. I mean, uh, in fact, I'd say Social Security is as criminal as what Madoff did, but we'll leave that go. But why do you feel that the occupiers actually should have been angry? That was funny because I, I, you and I spoke after that in my newsletter, like fe feeling preoccupied because I, I was down there. I saw those guys down in the. You know what's funny is I knew the park they were occupying. I actually didn't know by name. I heard I kept hearing the name, but I, I will tell you it's a very unpleasant place to go camping. For any of your audience thinking they'd like to maybe take a little jaunt to New York and set up the pup tent, uh, but uh, I got the feeling they didn't really understand. They should have been angry, but they really had no idea why they should have been angry. And the fact of the matter is, and I'm I'm very careful here. I cut my teeth in the '80s, and I'm. And I, I know I can almost sound like I'm trying to make us in the 80s seem like Gandhi. But, you know, Wall Street's always been a, about money. 
I went there for that reason. I wanted to make a lot of money. Um, but the thing is, we didn't like rape and pillage and then burn the whole place down. You know, you got, you got people with different opinions. Jack likes this. You know, Joan doesn't like it. I step in between you. You sell it. She buys it. I make a commission. Life is good. You know? Um, but like I was there for the advent of the collateralized mortgage obligation, the CMO. And I'm not going to bore your audience too much, but give me just some 60 seconds worth of rope here. But a collateral mortgage-backed securities, which are backed up with Americans' mortgages, are a difficult investment for investors to hold on to for, for no reason other than the lifespan is tremendously uncertain because as Americans, we all have the ability to prepay our mortgage any damn time we feel like with no penalty. Uh, which we do every time we sell. Correct. I mean, because you sell your house, the new owner's got to go get his own mortgage, and you got to pay yours off with the money they give you. Um, and if rates change, if you like, my the house, uh, my current house, I bought it in 1999, so not like a million years ago, but my mortgage was eight and three eighths. Well, now I'm down to around four percent. You know, as rates go down, but understand how aggravating that is to the investor that that bought my mortgage in in that mortgage tax security. They were just making 8%, and now I give them the money back. I'm only and now they're making none. I'm only going to refinance when it's good for me, bad for them. If rates go to 12, we can bet your life I'm never going to refinance now, and now they wish I would. They'd love to get 12 instead of 8, but I'm never going to refinance then. So what the whole idea of a structured, and a lot, most Americans know the initials now, CDO, which is a collateralized debt obligation, a collateralized loan obligation, what, what, when certain investments, just to simplify it, have characteristics that make it unappealing, we can sort of restructure them to make it more appealing. Like the example I always use is property casualty insurance, your homeowners, your auto insurance. It's very short term. You're usually not committed for much more than a year with those people. So property casualty insurers like short term investments, like, you know, somebody like Allstate or Progressive. They might not want to own a mortgage backed security because what if what if Mike doesn't prepay? Well, then the lifespan gets ridiculously long. That doesn't match their business, which is totally different than a pension fund or life insurance company. Life insurance pension, that's very long, long, long term. Uh, Prudential or MetLife will be very angry if, if Mike prepays too fast because then their investment shortens up. Here's what a CMO is. I take a whole bunch of these mortgages, mortgage-backed securities, and I cut them up into pieces. Like, let's just make it simple, two pieces. The A piece, I give, when the principal starts coming in, I give it all to A piece first. And I keep giving it to them till they got all the principal. And then the next half of the principal, I give to the B piece, A and B. A is going to have a fairly short lifespan because they're getting the first 50% of principal. The B piece will have a much more long lifespan because it gets the second 50%. Well, maybe that helps. Maybe Allstate or Progressive will be very interested in, in piece A. And the B piece, uh, and the word your audience should just have heard once, tranche. You hear a lot of this tranche word. It's French for slice. Tranche B might be interesting for the pension funds because they like long life stuff. And, and then here's where I start to sound like I'm Gandhi, you know, but I was on the deal team on, at Lehman back in the day. We brought these out, the first deal ever in 83. Um, you know, we made mortgage-backed securities more appealing to a wider audience of investors, which in turn made it easier for Americans to get mortgage financing. Which makes sense, because what you're doing is you're combining different vehicles so that you create some 
um, stability for the for the person that's doing the funding side. Well, it's still not perfectly stable, but it was an improvement. And we stuck our fingers in, and we took a couple bucks. But, but and if somebody doesn't do something like that, then it get, then you start end up paying twelve percent for a mortgage. Right, and and the homeowners, it made it a little easier for them and a little cheaper. Uh, to get their mortgage, the investors that bought the the tranches of these deals, they it was it was a good investment. They did well on it. And Mike, you know, I made a couple bucks. What took place in the last ten years? These homeowners who took out these subprime mortgages. Well, first of all, nobody benefited. There's not a single person probably in America that is glad they were able to get a subprime loan. They're extremely unhappy about it. You know, there's no, the last ditch. It was, it was, it was one step away from going and seeing Vinny the loan shark. Just about, and 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 their, the, the the economy and these Americans' lives were not enriched by the fact that the, that this this whole industry ever even existed. Never mind. How about the investors who bought these CDOs and the CLOs that had these subprime mortgages in? They're very, very, very unhappy too. And who are who are the only people that are very, very happy? Well, you know who they are. You know, they're, they're the big guys that got bailed out when everything failed, and they're bigger now than they were when they failed. Well, and even when they were failing and got before then, their checks cleared, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Their houses yeah. in the Hamptons and in Aspen, they're all paid for. Their Maseratis and Ferraris are all paid for. You know, and so, so again, the, the, me not wanting to sound like Gandhi, but at least we didn't rape everybody and burn the village down. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I do know what you mean, and I I think a lot of people look back to the '80s and the Me Generation and all, and remember the movie Wall Street and movie Boiler Room and all of that epitomized the '80s. And there was a lot of the thing about New York. I don't care where you're going. There's hustle. My my a good friend of mine, uh, my old business partner, Neil Franklin. He said he was just up at uh, sure place you've been to Gallagher Steakhouse. Oh, sure. Right, and his friend. This is kind of a side note, but just to give you the hustle, you know, for people that haven't really been there and experienced it, this this guy walks in. He's in front of Neil, and he's he's like ends up sitting at the table next to him. And he's a French guy, and he's like, "I want this wine right here." And the, and this, this sommelier is like a traditional New Yorker. Right? He's like, "No, nah, no, nah, you don't want that. You don't want that. You want this, you know." And he goes, "But this is my vineyard. This is my wine. I made this wine. I want to have my wine in your restaurant." And the guy after that, he's like, "No, nah, no, nah, you don't want that. That doesn't go with steak." And the guy don't tell me, I, this is my, I made the wine, you know. So the guy that actually made the wine, the sommeliers tell him, you don't want that wine. And there's just a vibe like that to New York. That doesn't mean, like you said, that people are, are burning the village to the ground. It's now, just how people are. Well, well <laughs> there's always a hustle. I mean, there's a certain, you know, I, I, when people are in New York to attend my, my sessions, we're only a couple of blocks from a Penn Station, if any of your listeners are ever in New York, no one will ever recommend this as a tourist attraction. About between 4 and 5 o'clock, go to Penn Station and go to the New Jersey Transit train platform. Because here's what happens. They, you know there's a 4.30 train to Newark, New Jersey, but the thing is you don't know what track it's on. And literally 30 seconds before the train's going to depart, you know the big tote board? Yep. Boom! They put up mayhem. You'll see little children and elderly women thrown down the stairs as, as, as everyone waiting for that train. It's bedlam. No, I, you, people will think I'm exaggerating. You go watch. No, I've been there. Yeah, you know, it, you know, people think Seinfeld, for example, as a show, like exaggerated. No, man, that's typical New York stuff. Everything you saw in that show, that's all all the time. <laughs> So. And I think that sometimes people see that and they make everybody out to be the bad guy. You know, and I saw, like, I watched this video recently, a documentary on Occupy Wall Street movement. 
Okay. And it's, it changed my view of some of the occupiers, because some of these guys were like military veterans and all, but they were yelling and screaming at these like guys in suits walking by them that are, you know, quote-unquote bankers, and I'm thinking, that guy's not the guy that did this to you. I mean, in some cases, maybe he is. But in most cases, that's just a guy working a job like you say you want. Right. And, and, and I, I really, like, when, when the whole Occupy thing started, I'm like, nah, guys, this isn't what you think it is. And it, it hurt me because I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be something that I could say, look, this is a good movement for positive change. But I just felt like they didn't know what the hell they were asking for. Well, they didn't, well I don't remember them asking for anything. Well, that's the other point. You know, that, that, it, it, that was the problem. It, they, you know, what's, this I, documentary said that what the, the original thing actually came out of Canada. It was this media website, I don't remember. And what they said they wanted to do was separate finance from politics. So no, get the money out of Washington so that they both do their own thing. I thought, right. that's a really great capitalist libertarian ideal. I could have been behind that, but right. that's not what we saw in the movement at all. Well, no, and the problem... And, and I, you know, I'm, I've been doing a lot of consulting work about Dodd-Frank. Uh, Dodd-Frank, by, by and large, is just going to, as much as they, uh, they pitched it as, like, the savior, it really isn't going to do much to solve a lot of the problems. It's just going to be like Sarbanes-Oxley, uh, another bureaucratic administrative hurdle that for companies to have the money to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, yeah. It doesn't do away with anything that got us into this problem. Um, well, let, let me, you tell me if you, if you think I got this right, because when I get it wrong, I like to know, and you're the guy that always points out where I get it wrong. To me, the whole Dodd-Frank thing, the people that caused the biggest problems in this, from what I can see, all got exemptions from it anyway. The people that are really big players but didn't get exemptions are the ones that are doing what you could say. They can manipulate it and use it as a barrier for the the, the smaller companies, and the smaller companies take it take it up, you know, take it in a chin because yeah. they don't have the resources to deal with it. Well, so everybody that's big gets bigger. The little guy gets squashed, and it doesn't help anybody. And the the biggest villains in it, the the Fannie, Fannie Mae, the Freddie Max, all of, all of these huge companies that caused this crap. They got exemptions anyway. They're not even they're not even controlled by it. Uh, is not as much exemptions uh, as much as they were just not allowed to die. Um, you know, which in in a, in a real libertarian. But I mean, Mike, some of these guys, some of these bigger companies. When I looked at the actual bill, there were waivers ish, waivers issued to them on certain things. Oh, there's like not. Are you saying they're not permanent or or what? Because I know they got waivers. They, well, like, well, there are certain waivers. Are you going, like, to the commodity stuff? Goldman and a few other companies got waivers. Yeah, Goldman, but, yeah, yeah but Freddie and Fannie got waivers for some stuff, too. I don't remember exactly the details, but I remember being pretty outraged when I read the fact they got a waiver for anything. Yeah, I don't, and I don't feel like, you know, generally speaking, don't feel like defending a lot of people. But I, I, one thing I want, you know, most Americans to know is, like, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, whatever they did, by and large, uh, especially the stuff that ended up troubling, they were forced to do by the government. Loosen standards. Well, I completely agree with that. You know, I completely agree with so, that. And, and I, as you know, have personal relationships at both places, and uh, I, can, I can promise you they're no longer – neither one was actually bankrupt when the government went in. They were troubling. I, I could understand that. And the government, of course, with their implied guarantee, should have been scared. Okay. But the thing is, I can promise you this. They're being run now very much like social programs. With regards to forgiveness and extensions and, which is fine, if that's how the government wants to run it. But like, you know, I don't hear politicians bitching and moaning about all the money we had to pump into welfare. Of course you did. 
It's welfare. Yes. It's yeah, and, well, and they're turning this into welfare. And my problem is at least the welfare money, some of it goes to the welfare recipient. It seems right. to me a lot of this money that was done to bail people out was given to the banks, given to the lenders, given to the, the operators within the umbrella of right. Freddie and Fannie. They took it, they yeah. kept it, and the guy still lost his house. They didn't give him the renegotiation on the interest rate or the renegotiation on the payment or no. the extension. No. They kept the money, and he got the shaft. Yeah, and that's the truth is I just went through a refinancing uh, exercise myself just lately. I mean, I'm you know I'm I've done very well in life. I guess is the easiest way to sum it up. They wanted everything but a stool sample and 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 ch and checking account records from high school in order to get this. I've never been late on a mortgage payment in my entire life, and this is what I go through. And I'm a guy with a credit rating give or take eight hundred. You know, wow. and, I, and I'm getting run through the meat grinder. And, and, and the thing is, this program, which Obama sponsored, I guess it's underway, the making homes, you know, the helping people, I think originally they thought it would help a million homeowners. It's helping a couple of thousand the last couple of years. That's crazy. And what does it, it's costing us a fortune to help. I mean, we could have just bought those people a house and gave them one for less than we paid to do this. Well, well you know, here, here is here. You know, I haven't written about it, so I'm, I'm, I've been talking about it to people, to my audiences when I've given speeches, but I haven't really broadcast it. But I mean, you know, it's funny since I, I don't know when I was on last, sometime last year. But Herman Cain, like the Halley's Comet, has come and gone. But you know what? There's an appeal to that 999. I don't know if it was a good idea. It could be a stupid idea. But you know what? I liked it because I got it. I get it. We well, understood. You know what it meant. I, and you I, know what it meant for you. Right. I could pretty much immediately assess whether I like it or it sucks, you know. But how about this? How about, you know, never mind helping out all these homeowners that are in trouble. How about this? With the government controlling Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, here's Mike's mortgage program. Anybody who's current on their mortgage and has never missed the payment, you just rewrite them. They don't have to qualify. It's a one-page deal because there are guys out there that have 7% mortgages. Yeah. They I might, got you. They, they might be underwater. Yeah, their income might be down. But you know what? They're, they're doing it, man. They're making their payments. But they've never missed. And if you give them – here's the thing that gets me. We take the person that's never missed, and we make them pay more. But we right. take the person that's struggling, and we make them pay even more. If, if a person can't afford 800 yeah. a month, they can't afford 14. No. So the solution to so the bad credit was, but I like your idea because it makes perfect sense to me. You've never missed a mortgage payment, and maybe you put like a, a like a qualifier, like you've never missed a mortgage payment, and you've made at least sixty mortgage payments in your adult life. You know, and then you just immediately say, well, you're a good risk. Rates are three and a half, three point nine percent right now. Anybody that wants one, you fill out one page, we do it for you. And then that puts all that money in the economy. And now I take it down from eight hundred bucks to five fifty. And, you, and, you, and then that all, you're going to do two things. You're going to take the money and spend it. Yep. Good. Take the money and save it. Good. good. Or now you realize you can afford more and you're going to sell your house and buy a bigger house. Good. Because now we get movement of the inventory because the housing market is being killed by the inventory sitting stagnant. Right. So, so I mean, we have, a, we have a gigantic audience of people that would immediately qualify. And with the government trying to influence Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, you just tell them, hey, Congress, here's the rule. If Mike's never missed a mortgage payment in the last five years, boom, you just rewrite them. We want it done in a week. That's what Harry Truman would have done. Sure. Well, yeah. Well, we we haven't had one like him before or since. That's, no. uh, <laughs> yeah. So you ever hear, one of my favorite stories to tell, have you ever heard the story of when he wants to integrate the Army? 
No. Oh, my God. That's a great story. Okay. Harry Truman calls in uh, the uh, basically not only the Joint Chiefs, uh, but pretty much his entire cabinet, and tells him his idea. He wants to integrate the Army. What do you think? Hours go by. million problems. Going to take this. Going to take that. It's going to be years. Going to be this. We've got to have regulations. And Truman just sits there, lets everyone have their say, and he basically like slams his hand on the table and goes, okay, fine. I want it done next month. Boom. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what, that's what you need done because you know what? When you have it, you have no choice. You'll get it done. Exactly, and and like my solution's an easy one. Jeez, Jack's never missed his payment, and he's got a yeah. seven or a six or an eight. Give him a four. Okay. Give me a four. Because I'll take your money and I'll either put it in my business, I'll put it in my retirement account, or I'll spend it into the economy. And either way, in different timelines, that's beneficial to everybody. Because if I save it, I'm going to be less dependent as a retiree. If I spend it, it stimulates the economy. If I put it into a business, it creates jobs, it creates additional income, it creates additional, it creates additional tax revenue at that point. Right. You know what's funny? I, I think the biggest thing that Americans don't understand, and it leaves them open to a lot of manipulation, is the way a government or a bank makes money is by causing it to move. Right. It doesn't matter how much money there is. It matters how much money moves. And I guess that's how the clowns we started out with, with this uh, real-time or uh, what you call high-velocity trading, get away with it. Because if they make money move, they create fees. They create expenses. They create taxes. Right. As long as it's just up and down the ladder and it's all good. But, uh, but that doesn't mean there's a value. Well, the right? Because there's two ways to make money move. There's movement with this value base. So you call me up, you say, hey, Jack, I understand you want to sell your RV, which I do want to sell, by the way. And I say, yeah, Mike, I want 10 grand for it. And you say, I'll give you 10 grand for it. Well, now money's moved, but value has been exchanged. Right. But if right. you buy stock in Jack's RVs, hold it for 35 seconds and sell it and make one quarter of a percent on $50 million, no value has been created. No. No, that's, that's, that's exactly it. And they're, they're not make, and they're not, at, not helping like companies going public. They're, it's not good for... It, it, other than their, their their sort of like specious argument that it's that it creates liquidity, like you and I discussed, we're, you're at this twenty years. You, there's only yeah. plenty of liquidity. What, what the hell? Plenty of liquidity, especially you know. We can say one thing about the liquidity in the loan market, but when it comes to stocks and selling and trading securities. Don't give me that. I, I know better. And when I look at all of this stuff going on today, I think as an entrepreneur myself, and I'll probably never grow a company to this size anyway because I'm not really interested. And long before it got there, if I did get a hold of something like that and it started to morph and expand, I'd probably sell it to somebody else and let somebody else deal with it. Yeah, but if I were behind Jack and Mike, Inc., and we were you know, making $50 million a year with our company, we're on that cusp where you go, do I or don't I go and do an IPO? I wouldn't go public for anything in this oh, environment. There's no, no way. Yeah. I, I, I get I get millions of dollars of additional reporting requirements. Oh, I get yeah. people breathing down my neck. I get subject to this manipulation. I have to expose information about my company I normally wouldn't. Right. I, I can't see. And I've seen small companies during the dot com bust. Remember the bust? Right. They, they wouldn't have been busted if they didn't go public. These were these smaller mid tier oh, dot coms. Oh. They would have survived and thrived. Because they were ahead of their time is what it was. And all the things they did, five years later, people came out and, and hit a home run with. But because they were public, they went down with the ship. I don't, I don't necessarily give Zuckerberg credit at Facebook. However, they <laughs> are still private. But, see, he has sold pieces to a various amount of people. See, the big, the big payday comes from the public issue. 
So sure. whether he wants to or not, it won't matter because, you know, he's let enough people through the door that their their big payday will come. They want their money. They're going to want their yeah. money, so they're inevitable. Yeah. But, I mean, think how long UPS did private. UPS has not been public that long. No, and, and another thing your audience should think about, think about every gigantic merger between a U.S. company and a foreign company. When has the resulting company ever ended up being a U.S. one? The answer is like just about never. Because no, even the, even the company, the U.S. one that's being merged agrees that if we are German based or Netherlands based or wherever, we're much better off than being U.S. based because U.S. based we have to answer all this crap. Wow. You know, to your point. Well, think about it. It's when, when Chrysler and Daimler Benz, I mean, and on and on and on. It just, there's. Well, look at what happened with Boeing. Boeing was going to open a plant in North Carolina. Oh, yeah, I know. Right? Right? And this was not, they were going to hire like thousands of people. And these yeah. were not minimum wage jobs. No. These were jobs. These, these were like low level jobs paying 15 bucks and high level engineering jobs paying multiple six figures yeah. and everything in between. And they were told you can't open your plant in North Carolina because the union doesn't want you to. And we could get into all the nitpicking crap that went on. But basically, they were hamstrung. Now, if it, if it would have been German air, right, and they came in and said we want to build a plant in North Carolina, no one would have said a word. No, no one said a word. So no. talk about sending jobs off you, you, overseas. You're sending the companies overseas. No, and that takes us. And again, I, you know, Herman Cain was fun to watch and everything. I mean, I. I, I, I enjoy him. I still enjoy him, but I mean, I never thought he was like a really serious candidate. But, but the fact that Americans were listening, his message they could get. And, and, and I mean, I, I, I'm surprised more candidates aren't ripping that off. I guess I just or some I, version of it, some version of a flat tax or easy to understand okay. tax. But here's here's the problem with that. This is why it's a, it's it's almost a loser's bet right now. About fifty percent of Americans don't pay income tax. Well, that's right. That's and about thirty percent make money by filing their income tax return. Now, I'm not talking about getting their money back. I'm talking about they get my money and your money yeah. as earned yeah. income credits. Exactly. And those people have absolutely no interest no. in a fair tax system. And I think this is the thing everybody talks about being fair. Fair would be you make ten thousand dollars this year and you pay a thousand in taxes. Right. I make a hundred, I pay ten. Some other guy makes a million, he pays a hundred. We're all paying the same, and the guy that made more is paying more, right. and that's right. fair. But they call that what regressive? Well, it's regressive because well, <laughs> because it, it goes back toward. I, I think a lot of people in this country to talk about fairness and equality, the last thing they really want is fairness and equality. Right. Fairness and equality would be great. I'd love it. You know. Right. Well, I mean, I, I try not to, I, I never get, I've been very lucky. I mean, I, it's not lucky. I've worked hard, but I've, you know, I put it, but I've done better than a lot of people. And, you know, but the, what I always say when people like complain about all the taxes they pay, I'm like, well, first of all, like I probably pay a lot more than you, but you drive on the same exact roads. Your kids get to go to the same exact schools. Uh, the army protects me just about as much as they protect you. You know, what, what, now, you know, and, and I, you know, 9%, I don't know if I even liked it, but at least, like, to my original point, at least I got it. I could do it. I could do it on a napkin with a pencil. You know? Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't need to hire anybody to do my taxes then. Nope, nope. You know, and I so, I, there's, there's simple solutions, and I think that's, you know, I don't know, as I watch this current election, I mean, just, it's just, the whole thing is sad to watch, but that's, you know, uh, just because I don't well, think, you know. it, it really is starting to look to me like, you know, we're going to get 
we're going to get Obama or Obama light. Yeah. Uh, Rom. I had picked Perry as the nominee, not with any joy or happiness in my heart. Yeah, you're half, uh, you're half Texan there for a while, weren't you? Yeah, I, I was. I'm all proud of Texas, but I'm not proud of Perry. I mean, I'm. <laughs> you I mean, know, I'm not one of those people that says that I'm. 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 I'm uh, uh, embarrassed for my state because of the guy that runs it. Uh, I don't do dumb things like that. But, um, but, but Perry, I, I, there was just certain indicators, and I, I think he had a real chance. But the man has a propensity to say dumb stuff that I just, yeah. you know, you're like, really, you don't know which three departments oh, of government you could cut, no. you know. But I mean, anybody could rise from the ashes. Now I know you're not a big fan of Ron Paul. Mainly because you're not a fan no, of the gold I, standard. But, I, but if I, you want tax reform and fair taxes, oh, there's yeah. your guy. Oh, no, I'm not. I, personally, I mean, Ron Paul's been running longer than all of them. And Ron Paul is the only one with a long record of telling you how it's going to go down. And lots of things have gone down exactly like Ron Paul told you it was going to go down. Correct. So, I don't, right. I don't. I don't know what it is. I don't know if he's just goofy or if he's seventy-six or you know. I, I've had. I, I think he has all the charisma of an empty beer bottle. Is the problem? He's very honest. He's very dependable. You can trust oh, him. Yeah, yeah, he's going to yeah. do what he says. But yes. but the average American voter that doesn't pay attention to the stuff like we're talking about today, they look at a person and they make eighty percent of their judgment call on what the guy looks like. Right. Well, and Ron all kind of looks like the creepy. And I love. I want to make sure before anybody gets mad at me. I love the guy. He's the only politician I've ever written a check to support, but he looks like the creepy old guy sitting on the park bench that you worry about your kids getting too close yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, don't go near he's him. He's not, but he just has that look, yeah. and that hurts you in America because we're such a consumer-driven economy based on really polishing stuff. And you look at a Mitt Romney, or you look at a Rick Perry, or you look at a Barack Obama, or a Bill Clinton, or a George, well, maybe not him. You know, no, you, no, there's... No, you, there's no, no. But they have the look, you know what I mean? They look like a president. Right. Well, before you go past George W., is, uh, you know, not to, like, I don't know if I've ever admitted this to you before, but I was previously a member of the Republican National Committee, and I met him uh, two different times when um, he was governor of Texas. And I don't know, have you ever been even in the room with him for fundraiser or something? No, I haven't, but I do remember him as my governor. And the guy that was my governor was not my president. I I, I can't really explain it. Well, here's what I'll tell you. In person, oh my God, he is—he is—he's Bill Clinton-like, handshakingest. You know, if, if he knows you for a half an hour, he'll have a nickname for you. He'll start calling you. I mean, charming, funny jokes. And then I, and when I heard he was going to run for president, I'm like, oh my God, that's great. And then, yeah, yeah. And then it's all all this goofy smirking thing, and and you know, I, I, I it's almost like somebody like somebody planted a chip in his head or something. I mean, if you watched him during the gubernatorial debates in Texas, yeah. the guy was a grade A debater. I, I think that people that saw him on a national level can't understand how good he was. Like they were oh. asking, there's actually a video about the contrast it when they were asking about his plan for you know juvenile uh, uh, improving the juvenile justice system in Texas, and he's like, my plan is fourfold. Boom. Boom, 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 and we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And he knew everything, and he didn't look at his notes. He didn't. Do, and when the guy would answer, he wouldn't even make a note. He would just look at the guy, wait, and, and then he gets on stage, you know, and, yeah. he, and I don't know what happened to the guy. It's almost like he had a, a mini stroke or something. And, and back to Ron Paul, just this weekend, I had a couple friends I was just having a conversation with about, oh, that Ron Paul, he's a kook, he's, he's, he's radical. And I'm like, and I start. Basically, without them knowing I'm doing it to him, I start making some, you know, well, do you really know what he's about? Yeah, he wants to, you know, I'm, and I could get the sense they had no idea. I go, well, yeah. 
he he's talking about like you know like whether it be North Korea or Japan or Germany that we have no need to have troops there they take care of themselves. They're like, well, that doesn't sound bad. I'm like, right, sure. right, and you start like actually you know articulately explaining like you know because even the media portrays them as like a nut. You know, well they do. They're scared of them. But if you right, but if you explain like, well, here's what he thinks. I mean, I'm not trying to convince you that you should think, but what do you think? When you just present, like, well, here's one of his ideas. Well, geez, that's pretty good. Okay, well, here's another one <laughs> you might like. That. Yeah. You know, because I don't yeah. think people, they, to your point, can't get past the lack of charisma, and he looks like the old man on the bench, as you described. He, he does, and I, I mean, I hate that, and I wonder if one day maybe his son will be a viable candidate, but um, just because the father's great doesn't mean the kid is. He seemed, Rand seems okay, but, I mean, I, I think that, like, part of the problem is, even if people fully understood everything, that when the 50% of Americans go, oh, wait, I don't have to. Well, actually, with Ron, if they actually listen, they would pay very little, too, because he's for getting rid of most taxes by cutting the programs that they're supporting. Right. Which I'm all for, man. Right. He's just cut it. Boom. It's over. I mean, and that's my thing. I'll cut taxes, but you've got to cut spending to go with the taxes that you're cutting. You've got to have an equal or greater relationship. Right. And, and what we've done is the exact opposite. We've cut taxes. And I'm not saying, you know, when I got a tax cut under Bush, it wasn't like I sent the money back. I wasn't no. upset about it. Oh, no. But, but they, 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 if, you're, if you're giving me a, a, a cut and then you're raising the spending at the same time and that you're already out of whack with your books justifying, no. that doesn't work. So that leads me to kind of where I'm going because we've been talking at a national level, Mike, and I've been warning people people that as bad as the national budget is and you you, know, you talk about mf global being like that goes under and then maybe another one goes under and it un, un, unveils the real problem my biggest concern economically in this country today are cities states and counties and their budgets and i see thousands on the verge of bankruptcy and i see many that aren't quite that bad yet looking at their neighbors who are about to go over the cliff and going, eh, we're fine, and they're doing the same thing. They got, they're not slowing down or changing anything. I mean, what are your thoughts on a whole municipal picture? There, there's going to be a variety of different failures, and some of them have papered it over, not even trying to be funny, uh, because they still have, when the markets, the credit markets, the ability to borrow money uh, sort of opened, because 2008 shut everything down. In the last couple of years, rates are low. Things are a little calmer. A lot of them have been able to extend their lives through more borrowing, which I know you'll love that. Um, but the thing about the states and the counties and the towns and cities is they don't get to print money. Um, and, uh, you know, and yes, I think there's going to be some defaults, but there, there, there's just hard and fast choices that are going to have to get made. And, and, and going bankrupt, I don't know how it is in every state. Uh, I know too much already. But, uh, like, for one thing, in Connecticut, you actually have to ask permission of the state of Connecticut if you're a town and want to file bankruptcy. Because years back, back Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, just decided it would file, I think it's Chapter 8 is what municipality file. And, uh, and the state of Connecticut got the bankruptcy thrown out of federal court because, uh, there's a state statute that Bridgeport was supposed to ask Connecticut. They didn't. And Connecticut said, you're not gonna. And they ended up just trying to figure out a way to pay their bills. But I guess I'm not as worried because the cities will make a decision. They gotta cut some, we gotta cut something. 
you know, you, and you yeah, can't. but here's my problem, right? So, like, the obligations are continuing. If they like a lot of these cities, if they stop spending a single penny more today, and right. if they cut right now, right. the future obligations are already going to run away from them. So, they even are. if it, even if like I step in and say. Town of Mike Gazer, you will pay. You will pay your bills. You will not declare bankruptcy. Right. Well, okay, you can't. Right. So you're going to be bankrupt either in name or action, one or the other. It right. doesn't matter. No, See, I'm, like I'm going to bounce this off you. Last week, I had a story on. I don't know if you heard this or not. The the state of Illinois bounce checks to people that won a lottery. Oh, I didn't. Oh, that's, that's yeah. By the way, they, I, they have to be scratch 150 grand, 159 grand. Or thereabouts, 18 people added up, you know, small jackpots. Ooh. They all had their checks bounced, and the state of Illinois said, um, it's a snafu because we were short during the holiday season, and we'll make it up to you. And when we get the checks to you, uh, we're going to send you a free lottery ticket to make up for it. And if there's any banking overcharge or anything, we'll cover it for you. Instead of just going, we're the state of Illinois. We can come up with 159 grand. Right. No. They, so my thing when I when I was on the air, what I said is there are three criminal enterprises that criminals always never go bankrupt with. They always make money until they get caught: gambling, drugs, and prostitution. The state of Illinois can't even run gambling right. No. So if they can't run gambling right, I mean, come on. Uh, well, first of all, I. I've never been whatever people think my political leanings are. I've always, I've never liked the lottery because I've always viewed it as a tax on the poorest people in America. Um, but that's just me. But just so everyone knows, because I'm somewhat familiar with this through first-hand experiences, most state legislatures, when they enacted the lottery logi- uh, legislation, uh, nothing would be worse than what you described, where somebody's owed their money and they show up at the window and there's no room at the inn. So very usually in most states, the money needs to be segregated away from the general fund. Uh, uh, in, in a, you know, typically it has to be zero coupon U.S. government bonds uh, or an annuity from an extremely highly rated insurance company uh, that backs up these either annual payments or, of course, if it's a lump sum, it's a lump sum. So, but so I didn't hear about the Illinois thing, which surprised me to hear you tell me that because uh, that money, the winner's 150 grand, should have never been commingled with state money. That's supposed to be held separately in a trust. I think there's some. Wait, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. That's the second time you used that word today, commingling. Isn't that what MF Global did? Exactly the same thing. <laughs> Giddy up! I, I, I opened with it and I'm back at it. So yeah, commingling. That 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 lot of winners' money should have never been anywhere near. Uh, the state of Illinois' ability to spend it. It should have been. So, so this is my fear, just so you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, that as all these, yeah. all these cities, counties, and towns start to go bankrupt, right. that they right. do have to make these choices, and they can't print their way out of it, which actually, to me, is the precipice that makes them, makes them trigger before the national level, right? They have to trigger first because, unlike the Fed, they can't just throw some more money on, on the fire and keep it going. Right. So they start to trigger. As they start to trigger, Okay, fine. You have to cut the police force by twenty percent. Fine, you right. do it. You have to do this. You do it. It's all these hard choices that can be made. But once those are made, some of these cities are broke, and they have thousands and you know nationally millions of people whose retirements are tied back to this. Yeah. Their retirements get wiped out or cut. That oh, plunges yeah. the country into a recession. Now the bread line comes, and instead of being you and me looking for soup, it's the governor of of Texas. It's the 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 uh, the uh, governor of California, it's the mayor of Chicago, and they all start turning up to whoever the next sugar daddy is. The city turns to the county, county turns to state, state turns to the Fed. When you add that up, they talk about you know they, if if Italy goes under in Europe, they, it's too big to bail out. You can't bail out 
the, the, the hundred biggest cities in the United States. Uh-huh. There is not enough money in existence to do it. And when that happens, I know you think I'm a conspiratorial nut, but I think what you look at then is a currency rebasement. And everybody's screwed. I, we're, 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 I don't know how to even articulate this. I mean, we're playing with, you know, I, I'm a pretty smart guy, and I've been around a pretty long time, and I don't know how this works out well. Does it go the way you just described? I don't know what it is. Uh, but uh, but whatever it is, it ain't good. It ain't, no, there's no happy ending to this. It's all going to be, it's going to hurt somehow. And whether it's like really, like you say, bread lines, soup lines, or our, or just a, a currency fiasco, hyperinflation or deflation, or or what it's going to be, uh, but it's just whatever. There's no easy way out of this. I mean, these are these are the unescapable facts of the situation, and uh, you know, and and of of all you know, both sides, politicians running. I think Americans are up for hearing the truth. Like that's why, like I don't know how much you personally know about Chris Christie. You would love Chris Christie. I mean, Chris- I think I love parts of. I, I know Christie fairly well, and there's parts of Christie I loved, and parts of Christie I really didn't like. No, I mean, but, 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 but I liked his attitude. I'll tell you that, and the way he would say what he meant and meant what he yeah, said. Right, and you know, and, and you know, at a certain level, like you know, anyone busting, and I'm by no means on the Mitt Romney bandwagon, but I mean, to be the Republican governor of Massachusetts, I don't even know how that even happened in the first place. You know, you know, because with all the Massachusetts moderate, well, I mean, yeah. at a certain level, America sort of lives in the middle. But I think we swung too far to one side. I mean, we, but I, you know, radicalness. That's what I, I get scared by. And I had this conversation. I was at a client out in Columbus, Ohio, right before the holiday. And uh, what scares me right now, and I think you and I maybe have had this talk, but I'm the economics, you know, major. I'm the economist. And what people don't realize is what brought Hitler to power was the misery that Germany had spent decades in coming out of World War One. I. I mean, those old wives, they weren't wives' tales. It was true. To buy a loaf of bread, you needed a wheelbarrow full of German marks to do it. Uh, Germany began printing money to create hyperinflation to make their war debt seem smaller. And what I am scared about from an economist and I love history. I think you know that. I'm really worried about some charismatic person uh, because I, it seems America's searching for one. Hitler was a moron. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, yeah, he was a he was a nut job. He, you know, he had syphilis that was eating away his brain. No, correct. Plus, like, what, what did he go to? Eighth grade, sixth grade? I mean, I mean, yeah. But, but yeah, he, and he could have won the war about six times if he had just done certain things that he didn't do that no one, including his own troops, understood why he didn't do them. And, and But all my point is simply this. When people are angry, and America is not Germany of the 1920s and 30s, but a lot of Americans are mad. And what they're looking for is, is someone who will point to somebody and say, that's the guy. That's who you should hate. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's what Hitler yeah. was able to do, funnel it into his own perverse funnel the angry anger angry and angry anger and the hatred and t- today the anger and the hatred will be funneled at the quote unquote rich but rich is not the wealthy or the elite you can't even see you don't even know their names right rich is not even bill gates rich is you and me because we have more than the person in absolute misery. So they turn people on each other, and they do the same thing to the, the upper middle class, the affluent layer, and they say, those people want your money. 
And the, the radicalism you're talking about, the extremism is by design right. because a divided nation is easy to control and a united nation is impossible to control. Think, think about, and I'm not making any commentary toward anyone. First of all, Sarah Palin, I would take her as president right now. I think she'd be fine because I think Sarah Palin's harmless and I think she was pragmatic. But in, in truth, <laughs> No, but I, but she is. She's practical, yeah. you know, clubbing fish to death and shooting antelope and whatever she does. That's great. But, but, <laughs> but, but what does she, she, what does she have going for her? She's cute and she's tremendously charismatic. You know, correct. But at least, you know, but she ain't Hitler. You know what I'm saying? She just, she, no, she, no. and what did exactly her, Herman Cain? He, he sang, he was a great singer, 999. What the hell did he have going for him? He was a he was a CEO of whatever Godfather's Pizza. Godfather's Pizza, yeah. Yeah, he was also the, a, a former uh, president of a branch of the Fed, so that didn't sit well with a lot of financial libertarians. Well, that's, well, that's another, you know. But St. Louis. He was a, he was the president of the St. Louis branch of the Federal Reserve, and that was uh, that was a sticking place for him to win over the libertarian-minded conservative. Because as soon as they found that out, they went up insider. Well, what, 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 but but except for like the girlfriend problems. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, what did? But it, I mean, to his leading in the polls for even twenty minutes, what did he have going for him, presidential credentials wise? Nothing. But he was the most. He was arguably the most charismatic guy in that field. Oh, there's no doubt about that. There's the, the charisma factor was higher there than anybody that is running or was running. Definitely. Right, and Obama's. You know, personally, you know, truthfully, I. I as a person, I think Obama's, I think he'd be, I'd love to have a beer with the guy. I, I like playing basketball, too. I think he's a good dad. I don't agree with anything politically. But, <laughs> but, but, I, but I, don't, I don't hate the guy, you know. Yeah, And, and, yeah. He's, and he's pretty much only... You're nicer than me. <laughs> well, he's, well, he's, pretty yeah. much, he's pretty much done exactly what he said, so if you're pissed about it... Well, him, no, that, that I'll agree with you on. Uh, the people that voted for him that are mad, yeah. I'm like... Did you not know what you were doing? Yeah. You got everything you were promised. Yeah, exactly. Except if you wanted, okay, he took longer to get the troops out of Iraq than I guess people would have expected. Yeah. And he didn't close Gitmo because basically the Department of Defense said, not going to happen. You can't do that. You can't do it because you don't, you know, you don't, know, you, don't you didn't, you didn't realize as a senator apparently, but. Yeah. Those that look at Afghanistan and say, well, we're still there, and I actually, I, I said it before he was elected. He thought the war in Afghanistan was a great idea. He, he thought did. we needed, that's where we needed to be. So well, they got it. everything that the guy promised. I just don't want what was promised. And I don't want any of them, to be honest with you, Mike. The only guy that would garner my support in the current place is, is Paul. And, and that's the only one. And I don't have enough faith. I hate to say it this way. I don't have enough faith in my fellow Americans to believe that he is going to be able to pull off winning the nomination. And I think he is too much of a constitutional conservative. And I'm saying that in a good way to break out and try a third party run. I really don't think he'll do it. Well, uh, he has completely denied it, but I don't think he will because I don't think he thinks it will do any, I don't think he'll pull. He, he knows he won't pull enough, you know, diehard Obama voters to 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 do anything other than swing the ticket one way. Oh and no, I think he, he don't. In the end, he's going to look out for the party as as a whole, at least on some level. He, he knows if he does it, he flushes the Republican candidate. I mean, that's he, you know, like Ralph Nader. When whenever he's run, you know, he didn't really care. It appears. I mean, yeah, he was, yeah. he was an idealistic, you know, which is fine. I mean. I wish we, I don't know who the third, it ain't Donald Trump. There's moments when he, like, was interesting to me until he turned into, like, his nuttiest parole. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, I wish there was somebody. 
Yeah. You know, I'm afraid if they do find somebody, somebody will shoot them. I mean, that's, that's yeah. tragic stuff like that happening. Yeah. That's my biggest fear for Ron Paul. If he ever really did catch on, it did, I'd actually fear for the guy's safety. He needs, he'll need secret service from the secret service if some of the powers that be have their way. We're kind of venturing out there, but I just kind of want to end with, I mean, you know, we've talked about all the problems again, as we always do. Yeah. And I think people probably have a bigger understanding of a lot of the underlying factors than they did before. But what the hell can people do right now, money-wise? I mean, you said not to buy a house anytime soon. Last time I had you, but you just finally said there's cheap enough houses. Even I'm going to buy a house. So, are there opportunities out there right now for people to invest their money, or at least buy something cheap, or or what have you? Here's here's all I can say, and I I got to be always honest that I didn't like giving financial advice when I got paid to do that. But uh, first of all, don't be afraid of cash uh, right now. whether it be deflation or hyperinflation. You don't want to tie your money up and stuff. Now, you know, I, I'll leave the gold and silver thing to guys like you, Jack. But, uh, you know, but I just, with, with so much uncertainty, I, sitting in cash, cash is king. Literally, I, I'm, I'm not afraid anymore of just literally having it in a jar in the yard, you know, at this point, for the amount you can earn on it short term in a safe, quasi, whatever you want to call it, safe. Uh, but, but, but I did mention to you before we came on the air that I, I it was, it's almost two and a half years ago, I bought a house, a foreclosure, one of those auctions like you see on TV. I bought a house, but I paid cash uh, in Florida. Uh, you know, but remember, don't nobody in our generation, and you and I are some, somewhat separated generationally, but just not by much, but it's not going to be an investment like I was for our parents. It's shelter. Correct. If Correct. Like, if you like it, it's in a good school district. It's got a nice deck in the back. You can barbecue some hot dogs and have a keg of beer and whatever. That's why you buy the house, not because you think it's going to be your retirement. Um, but I'm I'm just I'm just too damn scared of everything. And and I wrote you this because you, when you and I corresponded via email before the show, uh, I had never done it. But I spent in the last at my house in Connecticut last year 110 inches of snow in Connecticut. And then, <laughs> and then Hurricane Irene rolled through. I was out of power here 11 days. And then we had 20 inches of snow a couple of days before Halloween, another 12 days out of power. I finally begun prepping long-term food, Ox- oxygen absorbers, the whole nine yards. I got 10 buckets, five-gallon buckets ready to go, ready to go away into the uh, hatchway where it's nice and cool and dark and, and, and whatnot. So... Um, you know, there's a lot to be said for like things that have value, whether money's got value or not. Generators, yep. tools, yep. food. You know, and you know what? We got to go back. Everyone should have a garden. I don't care where you live. I don't care if you're in Manhattan. You know, a couple flower pots with some tomato plants in them. You know, it's fun too. It's good for you. Put your hands in the dirt. You know. So as far as like, just, but the thing, I guess, my summary point is this: there, there will be fortunes to made in you know in something. And if you're the guy that you think you know something, lay your money down. But you got bigger cubes than I got. Cause, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I do think that there's something to be said for what you're saying about acquiring hard assets, though, because you know, like you have you have a tractor with a PTO and a PTO generator. Well, yep. that can do a lot of work. Yep. It can produce energy. Yep. And yep. you know, I remember my grandfather had a tractor that my great grandfather owned. They last. And to me, it doesn't matter what something costs as much as it matters what something produces long term for me. Correct. So 
What's amazing to me is we have a few differences in the way we see things at economic levels, and there's no doubt that you are more informed than I am uh, and have a, a better knowledge base to base them on. But in the end, we come up with the exact same recommendations. So even though I might have a different opinion on gold and silver, and my, I consider my position quite conservative, about 5%. Uh, is where I think is makes sense, but I would say as high as ten percent. I'm okay of net wealth in gold or silver as a as a hedge. And if somebody wants to have zero, I, I it's fine with me. But if you ask me what you would I feel comfortable with, that's where I'm going to go. But in the end, I want to know that I can feed myself, clothe myself, provide myself with water, take care of myself, and take care of the people in my direct neighborhood community to a little bit of a degree because I need the stability there so that I can keep what I have. And, and I can't tell you how to get any kind of stability approaching that today. By trading stocks, that doesn't mean I'm out of the market. I, I'm holding some stocks, some dividend-paying stocks, and some things like that. Um, and I do have money in the bank and what have you. But I am not anywhere near in the aggressive mode that I was seven years ago with investing. No, no and I, I don't see. This is my bigger concern, right? It, it, the last time something bad happened, I kind of, you know, I took it on the chin a little bit, but I did basically jump. And I, I'm like, it's going to get better. We can get aggressive again. We can do these creative things again. And and this time around, I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to feel the way I did 10 years ago, 7 years ago, 12 years ago, right. about the opt optimism of the future until, like we said about the municipal defaults, the government as a whole, the national debt, you said there's no happy ending. We, we almost have to have that unhappy ending before we can rebuild. I mean, that's how I feel now. And all the, all the efforts made by the government and Federal Reserve between 2008 and right now actually are going to make it even longer because just like they did back in the 30s after the crash of 29 leading up to the Great Depression, uh, all the steps taken by the U.S. government and Federal Reserve back then prolonged the depression. And whatever you want to call this, the Great Recession or whatever nifty nickname you or the media want to come up with, I mean... It, this is going to go on, you know, the, 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 from like, uh, quantitative easing, one, two, two and a half, three, four, five, and 25. And, uh, the number just recently out was 7.7 .7 trillion dollars in de different kinds of, whether it be quantitative easing and whatnot, the Federal Reserve has pumped into the economy since 2008. <laughs> you know, um, the truth is our economy has actually shrunk by about 30% a year, 25, 30%. It's staggering. Because if you take the economy and you take out what the government printed and borrowed and what the Federal Reserve did, we only have a $14 trillion economy. And, yeah. And the Federal Reserve pumped 7.7 .7 in, divided by three years. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. what's the real yeah. economy? And that's what, as the economist, scares me. Everything right now just yeah. seems foamy. I don't trust anything. I don't trust the unemployment numbers. <laughs> I don't trust the... Well, I don't trust the unemployment numbers because I can tell you there's a hell of a lot more than about 9% of people without a job that want a job right now. Okay. I, I can take you to any small town. If you want to see it, see, you, you and I are both insulated a little bit. I'm in Arkansas now, so there's some of it here, but not so much. I, I lived in Texas for a long time. You're in the Northeast. There's Even when things are bad, there's always a lot going on. Yeah. It's the heart of the economy of America. If you want to see what it really is like now, go to Nebraska, go to Kansas, go to Oklahoma, go to South Dakota, go to Idaho, go to Indiana, you go, go to Michigan. If you go to those places, especially if you get outside of the big cities and you go into the small towns that were once thriving 
thriving communities in this country, driving this company, the country with small businesses and, and support companies and all that. And you go there now, and some of these towns that were amazing places to have lived 15 years ago, and you drive down their main street, you won't see a single shop that's even open. And, and that's what's happened to our country, and that's what the occupiers are mad about. They just don't understand it, and they don't understand what to do to fix it. Yeah, that's yeah. and that, that's the problem because I'll tell you because I'm in New, I'm in New York City and Washington D.C. a lot. If you go there, there ain't no there ain't no recession there. No, no, there's no recession on K Street. They've no. never even had one on K Street, right? No, no I, I say when I'm working in Washington D.C. at a beautiful hotel right uh, in Chevy Chase, right across from a Neiman Marcus. I can tell you one thing, man. Ain't no recession there. People out wow. eating, out shopping. Stores are packed. You know, I, you know, I, I, I went to the Cheesecake Factory a few weeks before the holiday. It was like a 55-minute wait, and it was like early. And I was like, which I ended up eating elsewhere. But I'm like, I, you know, uh, where's the recession? It wasn't even the weekend. Yeah. It was like Monday. You know, yeah. like, you know, and New York City, much the same. So, you know, I'd like to finish up with one question for you that I recently had from somebody, and, and I just like to get your take on it because. What I was told is a lot of what I'm saying about it, you know, basically saying the same thing you are. I have some ideas about how the end game could come, but it's not going to be good. Whatever it is, we have to completely b burn it down before we can fix it at this point because too much debt. It's like you said, seven trillion dollars pumped in. You, you, you can't do that and get away with it. It's going to have to come home to bear sooner or later. It is. But what I've been told is, okay, the same type of stuff you're saying was said by lots of people, 76, 77, 78, 79, 80. The best days of America were behind us. There was no future. We, you know, did, did we were we were going to go completely bankrupt as a nation. And along came Ronald Reagan, and he refinanced the debt, and he cut certain programs, and he did this, and he did that. And it was morning in America again, and we took off in one of the greatest periods of prosperity that we ever had going and lasting 20, 25 years with some little dips in the middle. Right. Why can't that happen again? How is it different today? That was the question to me, my question to you. Uh, it can happen again, and the truth is we would have been a lot better off. It would have been more painful and politically unacceptable to let AIG fail back in 2008, to let Bear Stearns fail. Um, I, I, wa I want to know, like, you know, without the government intervention and quantitative easing, no, no bank in America, can you imagine going to your local bank and asking, you know, if they were going to hold your mortgage 30 years, ask them to, ask them to accept a 4% interest rate, they'd spit on you. It's stupid. Everything right now is phony. Uh, and the trouble, and until we find out, what would mortgage rates really be if this was a business? If Mr. Banker guy, who's going to hold my mortgage, how much would he charge me? Because w once we find out that, we're going to find out what housing is worth. I want to know what companies are bankrupt. As I think you know my opinion, several of the largest banks in America, as far as I'm concerned, and I probably could prove it, are functionally bankrupt right now. Uh, and are being kept alive by the United States government and Federal Reserve. Well, I want to know which ones they are and bust them. And, and like, and people get paranoid, like, whoa, what if Citibank failed? Okay, but the thing is, there are solvent banks that would love to buy the pieces of Citibank that are good businesses. You know, correct. That's, correct. That's, that's capitalism. I, I look at it this way the giant banks bought all the midsize and large banks. Why can't the large and midsize banks now buy up the pieces of the giant banks? They're going to. And look at what happened when Bank of America started that stu stupid $5 a month ATM charge thing. Did you, did you, I don't remember the number. Of the <laughs> that didn't work out real well now, did it? <laughs> well, it was, yeah. it, was, it was hundreds, hundreds of billions of dollars in a matter of days. Uh, credit unions, 
were the recipients. A good friend of mine I played golf with on Saturday mornings, president of a credit union, he thought he, he never heard such good news in his life as Bank of America imposing the $5 charge. Um, the, the, it, it's happening already, but the thing is, um, to, to, to prevent the massive pain, disruption, and fear that would have happened in 2008 if, if, if the, the powers that be had decided just to let it go, let it all, let, you know, it could be a catastrophe, but we could have been, to your point, we, the Band-Aid would be off and we'd be healing. You rip the sucker off and you're off, you know, off to the races healing. Uh, but now we have all these new bills, all this new borrowing, trillions of trillions of dollars at the Federal Reserve level, at the, uh, at the, at the U.S. government level, at the municipal level, I, we talked about earlier in the conversation. Uh, and that's going to create this massive hangover effect because now mm-hmm. all, that, all that's got to be paid back. So rather than suffer the pain and, and learn the truth when we could have learned it, it's still, the, bill, the bill's going to come due. You know, yeah. You know, you, my, my answer to it in a very short way is: in 1979, we hadn't experienced the hockey stick. We had this incredible growth of debt that, albeit was bad, was right. fairly consistent from 1913 when we went on to this ludicrous system, in my view, yeah. up until uh, up until then. If you look at what happened to debt, the M3, all of it since about 2000, it didn't continue this continued growth that was consistent. It's it's swept up in a hockey stick. Absolutely. And once we cross that, then all you can do is keep trying to keep it going, but sooner or later it's gotta blow. And the only thing left to blow is the debt. Because everything the, the real estate blew, the technology sector blew, the construction sector blew, the automotive sector every sector has exploded and blown up and been patched up to create one last big bubble, which yeah. is the debt bubble. That's and it's gotta go. That and that's been the approach, like you brought up Reagan in the 70s. The approach by the government and the Federal Reserve has been the moment. What's funny is if the economy were to shrink by 1%, oh, my God, it's horrible. That's the worst thing. Oh, my God, the economy shrinking. End of the world. Right. But if the economy grows 1%, oh, my God, that's fantastic. It's the difference of two. <laughs> the difference of two percent. You're, yeah. you're in business for yourself. If your revenue for the year was up or down two percent, would you even honestly notice that? I, I, unless I'm unless I'm doing things where I'm forecasting growth that doesn't come. No, and that in some ways is the problem the government has with the growth not coming. So if you're expanding your programs basing on uh, forecasted tax revenue that doesn't show up, right. then you fill the hole. And you, okay, it's one year, no problem. I fill the hole. Two years to fill the hole again. Three years, and then you double the budget in a year, right. like the current ass cloud did, and yeah. and and you know then you're done. I, that's why I say we can't have it again without massive reconstruction, and everybody's going to have to understand that they're going to have to take it on the chin a little bit to fix it. Because we all did it together. And we're out of bullets, too. The Fed, you know, <laughs> ever, ever since you brought up 79, that's when Volcker yeah. became Fed chair. And, and he, he was the last guy with any cubes. And he, ra- you know, raised rates. I mean, people forget the 20-plus percent money market yep. accounts. Uh, yep. But, but he, you, people want inflation dead? Boom, he killed it. He's a wise old man. You know, I was proud to see Obama bring him in, except that all his stuff sort of was swept under the rug. He had part of it's in the Dodd-Frank. But, I mean, so, you know, the Fed just, ever since then, every time the economy slowed down a little bit, they cut rates. They cut rates, they cut rates, they cut rates, they cut cut taxes, they cut taxes. Well, I think we're out of that. First of all, rates are Yeah, there's no more to cut. 
There's no more to cut. No, we're at zero, and 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 the government's already like sucking it. They can't like cut taxes anymore. There's no more cutting anything. We're out. Now we just wait and see what happens, and that's where I'm scared and why I have buckets of food ready to go in this hatchway. And I, I think that's cool that we got a guy that's just switched on you financially. He says, "Hey, your best solution." is be a rational, not tinfoil hat, but a rational prepper, and make sure you can look after yourself and your family and your neighborhood. I, I, you know, I'm not, like, hardcore. I mean, I, I've never made fun, because I've always, like we've discussed, my own preparedness. Just on a, That's the New England Yankee part of me, just being ready sure. for stuff. But, I mean, like, I don't, I don't, you know, a year of food, I don't know if I need a year, but I think I'm good for, I've got, I probably have a couple of months now, you know, plus you already own multiple generators, you know, I already burn wood. And whatnot. So, I mean, you know, I already got an orchard. I got, you know, big garden. I got raspberry and strawberry patches. I mean, make my own maple syrup. I mean, I'm, I, I was already doing a lot of that stuff before, just for everyday emergencies, hurricanes, snowstorms. But now, sure. I'm, you know, actually, you know what? Before we get very quickly, if 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 you want to, if you want to know why you should be bad at Wall Street, a couple movies. You, and I think they're all available on Amazon or gonna be. Uh, Too Big to Fail was an HBO movie. Did you see it? No, I haven't. I'll, I'll get a copy of it. Then. Too, Too Big to Fail. Uh, it was an HBO movie. William Hurt plays Hank Paulson. Uh, um, Paul Giamatti plays Bernanke. Fascinating. Another one is great. It won the Academy Award a year ago for Best Documentary, Inside Job. A little lefty, but still. I've seen that. It is lefty, but it's it's mostly accurate. It's mostly accurate, but it'll, it'll, if you ain't mad, you'll get mad. And then for really entertainment, it didn't. No, I don't even understand why it did no business. But if you ever wondered what it was like at these Wall Street firms, uh, the movie's Margin Call. I wrote about it. If you remember in the newsletter. Um, yeah. It's got. I mean, it's got. Oh my God, Stanley Tucci's in it. Uh, Kevin Spacey, Demi Moore, uh, the guy. What's his name from The Mentalist? That guy, Simon, whatever his name. Um, and it, what it what it chronicles is the inside of a of a Wall Street firm when they figure out the mathematical model they've been using to value all the securities is wrong, and pretty much oh, wow. all, all of Wall Street is using the same model, and it, the whole movie takes place in a 24-hour period. And there's the moral dilemma because they seem to have figured this out before anybody else on Wall Street. And, and I, w- I won't give away the plot of the movie, but uh, my, I made my 13-year-old daughter watch it with me. And, uh, and her only question was, Dad, did you guys on Wall Street really swear that much? <laughs> <laughs> you probably had to tell her, yeah, we did. Yeah, no, I had to tell her that, no, it's actually worse. You know, So if anybody watches yeah. it, um, it's, 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 it's rated R for strong language. The word, gotcha. the word, I think you know it's word that shows up a lot. But, so uh, the three more, movies you're recommending are Margin Call. Margin Call is the name. I think it's available. At some no, no, the other two, the other two as well. All three of them. Give the list again. Margin Call. Yeah. Too big to fail. Yeah. Inside job. Inside job. And I will put. I'll find them online somewhere for you folks and put links to all of those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like I said, if you don't know why you should be mad at Wall Street, you'll know damn well why you should be mad after what you. <laughs> Well, cool. Hey, man, thanks for being here with us again. You want to tell people how they can learn more about you, get on that newsletter you keep talking about and things like that? Just Google me. Put, you put, put, you, got, you put it, on, the, you put it on, your, on your website. I'll put it on the site. Yeah, you, but can, if you, can, you guys can sign up for my newsletter. If you go to my homepage, right in there, the yellow box, it's free. Subscribe to the Mike Asher newsletter. I'm right in the middle of writing it right now. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, Mike, thanks for being with us again. 
Uh, thanks for telling us like it is versus like you know you like people sometimes come on and they tell you how they want it to be seen. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you for always telling me what you actually believe, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on on the show with us. Always fun. Thanks, Jack. All right, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico along with Mike Gazer today, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.